Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. If you look through the papers uh, today, so much still about the eviction ban, the protest that was held in uh, Dublin outside the uh, Dáil on people protesting about the the lifting of the eviction uh, ban. There's pieces about uh, vacant homes uh, on the paper and there's still a lot of talk and a lot of criticism over a tweet that went out at the weekend from the Sinn Féin housing spokesperson Owen O'Brien and a lot of uh, criticism aimed at Owen O'Brien but even up to today he's standing over the tweet that he posted on Saturday which included an image of a famine era eviction but it was an old painting which then had been reworked to include private security officers and members of Angar the Siakona. Owen O'Brien said the image, it's the original painting was from the 19th century and it's been redesigned by a Dublin artist and Owen O'Brien posted it up and just said no words needed above the uh, image. Owen O'Brien says this is what happens in cases of a court ordered eviction. He said the tweet is intended as a criticism of the government policy not of the Gardaí but certainly I saw a lot of members of the uh, Garda Siakona and in particular their spouses tweeting at the at the weekend and mothers who've got sons and daughters members of Garda Siakona. People were very very upset about it. The Minister for Justice Simon Harris described the tweet as offensive inappropriate and disrespectful to the men and women of Garda Siakona. He contended that the post shows what Sinn Féin really think of the guards and it was uh, Simon Harris who said the mask slips. And then the General Secretary of the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors, Antoinette Cunningham, she took to Twitter and said that Ona Bryn's tweet was deeply offensive. Labour's Aidan O'Reardon posted, we all make mistakes here on a social media easy solution. Delete the tweet, apologise and we all move on. He says on Garda Shikona deserve better than this and I suspect Owen realises that. But he, he doesn't. Owen is not backing down on it and the tweet remains in place. Fine Gael Senator Regina Doherty said it was, this is a new low for you. That was a tweet she sent to uh, Owen O'Brien. And then the chairperson 
of the Irish Property Owners Association, Mary Conway. I'm sure I've spoken with Mary on the programme before. She said scaremongering about evictions could actually incite unrest. And she makes the point that most landlords were decent people and they'll work with their tenants when seeking to re- repossess the property. And I think I think that's a, a really true and a valid point. And also it is worth pointing out that the role of Angarda Siakona in policing evictions, it's, it's, it's to ensure that public order is maintained. They're not there to evict the people. They're there to ensure the public order is maintained and obviously then that no uh, criminal effect, offence is uh, committed. So I welcome your comments if you saw that uh, tweet at the weekend. How you feel about it was Owen O'Brien right? Did you see it the way he saw it that this was, he was having a go at the government, not a guard the policy but can you understand why members of Angarda Siakona would be deeply, deeply offended by it because it looked as if it was the members of Angarda Siakona that were evicting people. And I've seen a text in from a listener saying, Patricia there has been constant vilification of landlords over the past number of months. The exodus from the private rental market has primarily been by small landlords many of whom borrowed and bought a single property in which to rent out and the idea about renting it out was that the money generated would be for their pension, for their for their retirement. The opposition parties have called for a reversal of the eviction ban. Is it the case that the members of these parties believe that the landlords in question, who, remember, have faced rent controls, interest rate increases, inflation, increasing bureaucracy and regulations, should they be prevented from accessing their pensions. Perhaps you will put that question to opposition TDs when next on your programme. This exodus will continue as there is the perception that eviction bans will become the norm and that sounds an old age pensioner and I don't know if it is an old age pensioner themselves who was in that position where they bought a property and they bought the property with that intention in mind that it will be used for their pension pot and then sell it and then they live off the proceeds of that. But that listener is uh, right. Not all small landlords, but a lot of small landlords invested in properties and they did it for their uh, pension. Um, And also that listener makes a valid point. It's one of the reasons that the government say that they had to remove the eviction ban because the fear was if they didn't as soon as they did, then even more small landlords who were already thinking of getting out if they left the ban roll on as Sinn Féin had looked for it until I think after Christmas was what they were were saying. The government were fearful after Christmas then we would have an even bigger house problem but that's that's all very well. Uh, But if you're in a house and you are seeking or you, you you can't find anywhere to live and again all of the papers today have more stories and there was a lot online over the weekend of people who are desperately trying to find an affordable property and there just doesn't seem to be anything available and for those people being asked uh, to leave even if it is the case that the landlord needs to sell the property for their pension um, you've got to also have sympathy and understanding for 
in some cases a family who are going to be out on the side of the road but I think you know Mary Conway who represents a lot of those small landlords is right most landlords are decent people and they will do their best to try to work with uh, tenants now you'll always have the rogue ones in between uh, of course but I think in the majority we the Irish are decent people Bill in Clonakilty said he wouldn't be a Sinn Féin supporter but he actually saw Ona Bryn's tweet at uh, the weekend and the picture and uh, he agrees he supports it he said the uh, it's factually correct what was in the picture if there's an eviction and if someone has been put out on the street the Gardaí can be standing by and that is unfortunately what happens the Gardaí now the government are now deflecting the reality onto the opposition party well well, the role of the Gardaí is in is in, in policing evictions is to ensure public order is maintained and it seems that Gardaí actually shouldn't attend an eviction unless a criminal offence is alleged or disclosed so they don't actually go in and forcibly remove the person from the house and I think that's what the the actual picture Remember, it's a famine-era eviction and it's been doctored now to look like there's members of Angarda the Siakona and other security people wearing high-vis vests and uh, safety hoods, um, etc. So that's the way the, the actual painting has been uh, doctored. Uh, but Pat Infomoy said, anybody looking at the sketch, when you first look at it, it does look like the members of Angarda the Siakona are evicting the people. The Gardaí should be standing back from the house. But it, when you were looking at it, it looked like they were doing the ev- eviction. Maybe when that photograph was being doctored. There was the Minister for Housing they should have had in the middle of the photograph, not the uh, Gardaí. Uh, and someone else is saying absolutely can understand why this is so offensive to Gardaí. Their job is tough enough at the moment and this could actually incite hatred towards them. Representatives of the NCT testing company Atlas last week admitted the number of vehicles without a valid NCT cert rose by 50,000 in just a few weeks with 425,000 and four vehicles with an out-of-date NCT cert. Cork East Fianna Fáil, Dáil Deputy James O'Connor is a member of the Oireachtas Transport Committee. We've discussed this issue with him before and he once again joins me. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, as TDs, are you starting to get a little bit frustrated with these ongoing delays at NCT centres? Well, funnily enough, in the last about two weeks, uh, we've started to see the new Minister of State and Department uh, trying to take uh, further action on this. So Jack Chambers, as many people will know, was the Minister of State um, for Sport uh, last year. Uh, and at Christmas time, during the reshuffle of the government, um, he was appointed as the new Minister of State and Department of Transport. So I've met with him on a couple of occasions. Uh, and what I'm now glad to see is there's been more proactive um, steps being taken by the Department of Transport to work with the RSA. So now what's happening is that there is uh, meetings now being held on a weekly basis to establish uh, what progress has been made. Jack is telling me that by the middle of the summer that he's hoping that the situation will be brought into some degree of control where we will see hopefully a significant drop in waiting times and also a significant drop in the number of people who are waiting to get their NCT test. So I am hopeful that um, some of the actions that are being taken now uh, we'll start to see a reduction in waiting time and a reduction in the queue that's there. But yeah, it is well that, frustrating. Yeah, that's exactly the statement that Atlas themselves are saying. They're saying that they will cut backlogs and waiting times and they're saying by June. That's the date they're, they're giving. I mean, but have you faith in the company? That's very little faith in the company in general over what we've seen and experienced in the Transport Committee. As people will know, I sought for them to come before the Transport Committee um, on two separate occasions. 
and they were incredibly, incredibly uh, poor, the answers they gave. And it was quite clear that, you know, whether it was to do with the treatment of existing staff, uh, whistleblowers that had come to, to myself and other office members for higher some appalling situations, um, but also around the retention uh, problems they had where they were going having to go to the Philippines to hire, uh, you know, more staff to come in uh, when they were letting experienced staff go, you know, it just shows how this problem occurs. You know, many people said, oh, the pandemic thing was going to happen anyway. Um, it's not necessarily relating to, to COVID. It, it was more to do with the, the level of staff that that, that app has had doing NCT testing, um, which caused this backlog to grow out of control. Uh, and while there was going to be a natural backlog occurring, you know, it, it grew well beyond any expectations. And to the point where we thought it was 400,000 in the room for those NCT tests. Uh, and, you know, that, that to me is, 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 is not good enough. And we know in Cork East, uh, around Cork City, that many of the test centres, if somebody goes onto the site today to book, would have to wait till sometime in the late autumn um, before they get an appointment to get an NCT test. What did you make of FORSA, the union's decision uh, last week to tell the driver testers not to conduct, conduct a test without a valid NCT? That is affecting a lot of young drivers. I, I don't like to be critical of the unions, but I don't think it was a helpful step. I'm very willing to speak to FORSA, but what we have to be um, realistic about here is that when a young person or a person doesn't have a, a driver's license, applies to do so, you know, it's a major moment in their lives and it an impact on, on their quality of life and, you know, whether they're a person after finishing up their leaving certificates that wants to go out and get a job or, or they, may, they may need their car for, or somebody that lives in a rural community, in a rural area where they don't have good public transport. Just an indication of why it is so important um, that we would see, uh, you know, a system in place that does allow, uh, you know, people get their driver's test done because they, they, they mean so much to people. And I don't think the union's um, decision was very helpful. Yeah, because we had uh, an issue. Now, we thankfully got it sorted last week for one of our listeners, her son, due to do his driving test this week. Her NCT was out last Friday. Her NCT appointment was for two weeks' time. Now, she managed to get into Blarney. She had to travel from West Cork up to Blarney on Thursday, but managed to get the NCT uh, done. But when we got on to the RSA about this particular case, they had said that her son could reschedule a test but the problem is there's delays with the driving test. It's all, oh, I'll cancel next week's and I'll get one for the following week. That's right. And, and what we've seen is that there has been, uh, you know, closures of some driving test centres as well. Uh, and that's not necessarily helpful. But what we do know is that, you know, there was an effort taken a number of years ago with Shane Ross as Minister for Transport to hire an additional um, driver testers. But what has now happened is that of those contracts, which were short-term contracts, um, have run out or are in the process of running out. And many of the employees that were, were by the RFA at that point um, are deciding to leave because they were very uncertain about their future. And no doubt we're looking, I'd say if I was an employee in that situation, looking at the RSA's management of things like the NCP and other issues that RSA have overstayed of, I don't think I'd be either for that call on them. But I need to move on. Just move around easy. slightly with your phone. Um, we're just we're slightly losing you there. Hello? Yeah, yeah, you're okay Hello? there. Yeah, I Sorry, can hear you. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's perfect. I'm just making the point that the RSA that if I was somebody that had been fired on a temporary contract a few years ago, uh, we had a scheme brought in to try and reduce waiting times for tests, 
Um, I don't think I was, would have stuck around waiting for the call when that when that was going to expire because we know that the temporarily the temporarily hired uh, driver testers by the RSA their contracts are expiring at the moment and many of the driver testers are leaving because I suppose they don't have any clarity over their future and this is something that the road safety authority should have done a lot more work on before we arrived at this situation. I think probably said during COVID nineteen that you know maybe this isn't a priority at this moment in time but we now know. Um, that it was, and, and, and the backlogs are very, very significant. Okay, uh, somebody wants to know, has James heard of anyone getting their NCT for free if you're left waiting over 28 days? Did you hear of anybody uh, getting a free one? I have. There's people oh, have who have okay. the NCT. And, and unfortunately, what, what does seem to be a bit of a, a bother for me here is that information they provided to myself and other Rockets members it's not consistent to what I've been told by some people who've rung up NCT and asked them for the refund. Uh, and some of them have been able to book NCT tests without having to pay the fee. Um, and that's it's quite peculiar because when figures were released and they were given to the RTE um, originally a couple of weeks ago, and they showed that nobody who'd waited over the 28-day period since the reintroduction of that customer charter in October was given the um, uh, was given um, a free NCT test. So the customer charter is what the, uh, is put in place as a kind of a customer service agreement that if somebody has to wait over a 28-day period, according to the Road Safety Authority's agreement with Atlas Trust, uh, they are entitled to a free um, NCT test. Or so basically, 55 euro test. Um, they should not have to pay first. Um, and, and what I've heard from people who come to me is that some of them have managed to do so, but NCT then are telling me that they have not paid back any, anybody. Oh, right, that's the, interesting. The that, that is interesting. And I suppose the real concern uh, with all of these, particularly that figure from last week, 425,004 vehicles driving on the roads with an out-of-date NCT. Now, you would like to think the majority of them are fine, but there will be a number of those cars that could have very serious faults and actually shouldn't be on our roads. That's right, and, and I think what has been quite clear is that, you know, from the insurance point of view, that's where the biggest anxiety comes for a lot of people about whether or not they're insured. What we do know, uh, Patricia, is that the insurance um, if Ireland have come forward to say that they will accept um, that if somebody has applied for a NCT test and they're waiting for it, um, that they are insured. Um, so that's an important point to make sure people are aware. Um, but also from the point of view of the cancellation rates, that's something that was, was baffling, that they have 11% attrition rate for our cancellation rate now for people that are applying for the NCT test. So quite a number of people are cancelling a little bit more than, than than you might consider to be normal. Look, it's natural that people may have a clash with an NCT test. It could be an urgent case with, with family re- relating to family business or something that, that you may have to cancel the appointment, but 11% sounds suspiciously high. And I think if somebody cancels on more than two occasions, it does merit a bit of investigation. Mm. Um, and, and some perhaps, you know, whether it might cost an additional amount to book the test, or if somebody was given a compulsory attendance date, a bit like jury duty, that I think that would be that would be a way of, of solving that problem as well. Because look, it's for everybody's benefit that do we have cars on the road that have a valid NCT um, for our own safety? Because unfortunately, all it takes is one situation for it to go very wrong, and we could have a very bad disaster on our hands. Okay. All right. We leave it there, James. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, bye bye. 0818 103 103. And Jim is just wondering did the lady, was it Margaret, was her name, did, did her car pass the NCT? And when is the son doing the driving test? I know the son is doing the driving test someday this week. I'll get you on, Paul. 
to link in and see uh, or fingers crossed that she passed the NCT first but it's someday this week the sun is due to do uh, the test and I did ask her if she'd get back to us and let us know particularly how the sun gets on uh, we're keeping our fingers crossed for him that he does pass 0818 103 103 and Pat was on to say Patricia I just got my vouchers in the post from Dunn Stores but I've been told this is the last time I'll be receiving in the post from now I'll be getting them on my app on my phone does that mean I don't need my value club card anymore I can't tell you the last time I used my value club card Pat because I always use the app on the phone so once you have the app on your phone you'll be using that so no I mean I just put the I didn't exactly throw the value club card I have it, have it at home somewhere in a drawer but uh, no you, you certainly won't be using it if you have the app on your, on your phone once you've got your phone with you handy if you want to bring the card you can still use the card if you want to but if you've got your phone with you and all of us have our phones with us all of the time so that means you'll always have your value club card in, stored in the phone and let me stay with NCT and getting your car NCT Jerrys and Colin. Uh, good morning, to Jer. How are you? I'm not Patricia. too. I'm not too bad. You took your car for NCT, and unfortunately, it didn't pass. Why didn't it pass? Yes, I, back in back in January, I took my car for an NCT. Now, granted, it's an old car, but I had been assured everything in the garage was checked in it, and I went and I got it uh, checked, and it failed because the lights were too low. And that was fine. I accepted that, even though I was surprised. So I came back to the garage where I had it done initially. And they never even opened the bonnet. They checked the lights and they said the lights in that are 100%. If we lift those lights, you will fail because they'll be too high. And I wasn't still happy. I went to a second place to get them checked. And yes, the second place confirmed that the lights were what they would have considered the 100%. And they said, take it back. And I got a retest. And within 30 seconds, the gentleman came back, handed my keys and said, that's fine. And did you say to him, I did nothing no, I, different? I, no, I'll tell no. you, I was in the process of doing it, but there was, there was another gentleman there with me who was in the middle of a big standoff with him oh. uh, because his wife had a relatively new, now when I say relatively new, it was the first time being tested. Okay. It was uh, a Range Rover. And uh, when they came back out with his wife's Range Rover, which apparently had very small mileage on it, they said, unfortunately, it has failed. And they, he said, what? He said, that car has been with the main dealer all week. He said, there's tiny mileage on it. And he said, the main dealers were actually laughing at the part that I brought it in to get it checked before the NCT. And he said, what has it failed on? And they said, oh, the, the windows are tinted. And he said, yes, they are, but we bought that car new. It came in from the, the, the manufacturer with those windows in it. And he said, I don't think so. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said the car was bought or the Jeep was bought in McElligot in Castle Island. Sorry, in Salee. And he said, during McElligot, he said, you have the number of... So they, they, were, they were trying to make out that he had changed... He had, well... He changed the glass. I, I don't know if he was. They were or not. But they were failing it on the basis the windows were tinted. Okay. And anyway, the gentleman inside, not the mechanic he was dealing with, but the other man in the office rang McElligot, and within five minutes he came back and he said, uh, yeah, we let that through. And he changed the stuff and gave him the stuff for the car. Okay. And so, so because that was so going on, you it, weren't it, able to point no, out to them that you'd done I, nothing. I, well, you know something? I said, I just, I may be going back there again. And I suppose I said, look, I have my stuff I'm not going to make I know, any issue I know, of it. I know, I know. There was a woman 
sitting in the foyer and I think she had got her time wrong. So she was sitting in the in the foyer of the, the thing for about an hour. And what she said to me was, she said, I think that's number 11 on the trust that has failed. Mm, uh, yeah, and when you when you fail on something like that, you have to bring it back. You don't get charged and, though for the second test, do you? Yes, and, and oh, you to do. Make it worse, to make it worse again, I hadn't gone to my nearest NCT, obviously because for booking reasons. Yeah, I took the one that I could get quickest. I had to travel seventy miles. Oh, that's so... And you've got to go back to where the original test... Ah, that's really annoying. If if you have time, I'll even tell you a better one. I seem to be... I bought a new Volkswagen Passat in 06. Yeah. And when I went for its first test... Now, I work in ministry, so my car had tiny mileage up in it again. And when I went for my first NCT in my Passat, the gentleman came out and he said, it has failed. There's a bushing in in the steering, he said, that you need to replace. And he said, I've actually put a neck in it with chalk because he said uh, the, the garage won't find it. And I kind of said, well, if there's a bushing that's that bad, surely my garage, who are experts, will find it. Yeah. And anyway, I said nothing. I came back to my garage. What he said to me was, go to your garage immediately because the, ch- the chalk mark won't survive if the roads are wet. Okay. So I, I left the NCT centre, went straight back to my garage. And there was three mechanics there, and the three mechanics looked at it because the owner had checked it first. And any of the three mechanics said, there is absolutely no point whatsoever in changing that bushing because there's no movement whatsoever in it. And any bushing we'll put in will have exactly the same amount of movement and could take us probably about three hours to get the bushing in and out. And I wasn't happy. I went to the main dealer. My, my own garage isn't the main dealer. I went to the main dealer and I was told exactly the same thing. And I reapplied for my test. This is back in, I think, 11. Yeah, with, uh, with, without changing the bushing. Without ever touching it. They never yeah. touched it. They said it was pointless. I went back in, in to a, now to a different centre. I okay. got my retest in a different centre. And? I went back in. I went back in. And in fairness, uh, the man in the NCT centre said to me, um, he, he went in. And he came out and he said, that's okay. And uh, believe it or not, that was 2011. My car has, the car now that the lights were the problem in, passed the NCT in 2023 and that bushing still inside. <laughs> the Friendly same one. <laughs> okay, listen, Ger, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you. And, okay. and that's not the first time uh, I have to say that I've heard of somebody that failed on an NCT, got nothing done to the car, took it back to a garage, said nothing wrong with that and went back in. But it's hard to get an explanation on it because nobody wants to challenge the NCT for fear that it might come against them and that they might lose out the next time or they mightn't get their search. Anyway, 0818 103 103. I want to leave the NCT there for a for, for uh, we will come back to some of your thoughts and comments but I want to move to something different because last week the Oireachtas Committee on Tourism heard that some 32% of all hotel beds outside of Dublin are now being used to house refugees with some counties having more than 50% of all accommodation now booked by the state for non-tourism purposes. To discuss the effect that this will have on the tourism industry, I'm joined by Owen O'Mara Welch, who is Chief Executive of the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation. Good morning to you, Owen. 
Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. OK, what effect will the shortage of hotel beds have on price, firstly? Well, it'll have a number of sort of unintended consequences. I, I suppose the thing to say just at the outset is I, I think, you know, everyone thinks that, you know, Ireland has to be as generous and warm and welcoming as possible to refugees who are fleeing war. And that goes without saying. I suppose our issue is that the government has um, become overly reliant on the tourism accommodation sector, and that does have unintended consequences. So you, you mentioned it there at the outset, one in every three bedrooms, uh, tourism bedrooms, so that's hotels or guest houses or B&Bs, uh, one in every three tourism bedrooms in regional Ireland is now no longer available to the tourism economy because they have been given over to the government for Ukrainian refugees or asylum seekers. And that does have unintended consequences. Fulcher Ireland uh, have done a lot of work on this area and they estimate that the hotels and guest houses will be okay because they get a check after all from government every month or every three months for the services they provide. But all the downstream tourism businesses, so the, the restaurants, the attractions, the activity providers, the pubs, uh, they're the ones that will miss out on the tourism uh, dollar and Fulcher Ireland estimate that it could cost the tourism industry as much as 1.1 billion euro over a 12-month period if that many beds are unavailable um, to the tourism economy. What we're really saying is that there's tourism towns up and down the length and breadth of the country uh, which will not have an adequate supply of tourism beds and therefore there will be very little tourism activity and that will affect all those downstream The knock-on, all the, all the smaller businesses. Yeah, which is very, and, which and, is very serious for, and, for Ireland's largest indigenous industry and biggest regional employer. And yet, can you understand why some hotel owners and guest uh, houses take up these day contracts? I mean, they have 100% occupancy. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's quite attractive for a hotel or a guest house particularly in the winter months. So, you know, tourism, you know, we, we've tried for years and years to make it a 12-month-long season, but it's not. It's a it's a six, eight-month-long season. So there's, there's those quiet winter months of kind of November, December, January, February. And if the government comes to a hotel or a guest house and goes, listen, will, can I take all your rooms at such and such a rate uh, for the next six months? That's a very attractive proposition. But equally, those tourism businesses um, want to get back to their bread and butter, mm. want to get back to their, their, their daily business, which is looking after Americans or French or Germans or, 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 or British people who are coming to Ireland. And in fact, you know, those tourists pay, you know, it, it's a more lucrative uh, business. So it's, 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 not, it's entirely their prerogative to want to get back into the tourism trade. Um, but as I say, with the government being over-reliant on the tourism accommodation stock, uh, there's, there's a huge concern as, as to where refugees and asylum seekers will go. So we've been calling for some time for the government to be much more ambitious and much more creative and put together a balanced, robust plan as to where refugees and asylum seekers are to be housed on a long-term basis. Because, you know, they, they, you know, even if the war magically ended tomorrow, which we all hope it would, a lot of these poor refugees don't have any homes to go back to. So they're going to be in Ireland for an extended period of time. And, and, and the government can't just put them up in hotels constantly because, as I say, the hotels will be okay because they will get a kind of a, a commercial rate from government. But those downstream tourism businesses, which is lots and lots of jobs, um, are going to suffer. And that, that's of great concern, particularly as we get into the summer months. Yeah, and would you have concerns about the overseas visitors, um, Owen? I mean, the, you know, the overseas numbers are starting to bounce back after the pandemic. Yeah, the, 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 the pandemic was awful for tourism because um, there was no international tourists who were allowed to come to Ireland for a two-year period. And remember, when I talk about the tourism economy, 75% of the value of the tourism economy is actually made up by international visitors. 
So the domestic uh, tourism is, is very welcome and very important, but it's only uh, 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 25% of the overall pie. So it's, you know, the success of Irish tourism really depends on attracting international visitors to our shores. You know, we see that in Cork or Kerry or whatever. You, you know, coach loads of Americans who, who, who tour the regions, spend, spend significantly in, in shops, stay in, stay in decent properties. You know, they're the really valuable ones, and they're the ones that generate an awful lot of jobs and an awful lot of income to business. And unfortunately, we're seeing evidence that because of the shortage of supply of accommodation in Ireland, uh, lots of those tourists are unable to get availability or the availability they are able to get is priced at a a prohibitively high level. So, uh, again, you know, we're only kind of seeing glimpses of it at the moment, but the intelligence we have shows that this is going to become a serious problem over the summer months um, and, and you know 1.1 billion euro is the figure that Fort Ireland came up with which as, as you can imagine is a huge uh, number and that is really um, regional Ireland that will miss out on it because Dublin will be okay Dublin has enough hotels and it has enough sort of um, accommodation stock to be able to absorb um, the, the allocation of refugees and asylum seekers to hotels and guest houses but regional Ireland doesn't. Yeah and as you mentioned it is our largest indigenous industry employing so many people and generating uh, so much revenue and I would have a fear Owen that some of the those smaller tourism companies and businesses some of them could end up going out of business and we'll lose them completely. Yeah exactly and like nobody wants to be alarmist or nobody wants to, to you know, be be overly dramatic. But unfortunately, if, if you have, you know, a tourism town, say along the Wild Atlantic Way or down in Cork or whatever, which, you know, depends on tourists for, you know, spend in the local shops, spend in the local restaurants, spend with the activity providers, spend in the local attraction. And if those tourists are no longer there, because remember, the Ukrainians that might be in situ, they don't have the same spending profile. They're not going to act like tourists. So if you don't have tourists there, the knock-on consequence is that all those businesses that I referenced uh, will, will, will miss out on, on revenue and, and footfall. And that puts enormous pressure on the business viability. And my big concern is if, if we do lose um, tourism assets, I would call them, you know, because of, of this uh, scenario, it's going to be very difficult to get them back. You know, you know if, if a business fails, you know, it, it takes quite some time for another business owner to actually step into the market. So, you know, the danger is that Irish tourism will be denuded um, and then weakened because of the um, economic implications of the current, of the government's uh, current over-reliance on the tourism accommodation stock. So the government has got to think of modular housing, housing, uh, vacant dwellings, uh, state institutions, unused buildings. They've got to think of other forms of accommodation uh, apart from just um, B&Bs and hotels and guest houses because the tourism uh, um, uh, um, industry will play its part. That, that's, that's a given and we've played our part up to now and we'll continue to play our part but just not to the level that, it, that, that we currently see. Okay, and before I let you go and a couple of people, whenever we mention hotels and staying in hotels inevitably we'll get people saying what about the price uh, and price gouging some people are talking about especially in Dublin and that hasn't helped. There was a lot of focus and attention around St. Patrick's weekend yeah I, I think there are a small number a small minority of, of tourism operators and hoteliers who take advantage of the situation and charge excessive prices for uh, the, the final rooms that, that, that they have available I don't think that's I don't think that's reflective of the broader tourism industry I mean we mentioned it's the biggest indigenous industry the country has there are 20,000 tourism um, businesses in the country the vast majority charge fair and reasonable prices but there's a small minority that, that charge excessive prices and, and they do the industry damage. I mean, I think the story about 
St. Patrick's Day in Dublin was that, you know, you had um, obviously the St. Patrick's Festival, you had um, the Ireland England rugby, rugby match, match, and then yeah. you, had, you had Mother's Day all the yeah. same weekend. So Dublin was full, absolutely full. So 23,000 tourism bedrooms in Dublin had already been sold months ago, and there was a handful of rooms available uh, and and fools uh, charged outlandish prices and I think I think the consumer should walk away because I certainly don't don't think it does the industry any any good yeah. in terms of in terms of that sort of behaviour. Well we were telling them all to come here to us in Cork because we have great value on that for you we'd be delighted to hear. A- a- absolutely okay. um, right. it's, it's a great it's a great part of Irish tourism but I, I just hope it thrives and succeeds and yeah. if, if, if a lot of the accommodation stock is, is taken like currently there's 28% of all the tourism bedrooms in Cork are gone um, you know, so that does have an impact on the flow of tourism, and indeed, the bedrooms that are left would probably be charged at a higher price because demand and supply will be out of sync. So okay. that, that's that's the issue that I'm, I'm keen I'm, to sort of raise awareness. We of. have to leave it there, Owen. Listen, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Appreciate thanks, the chat. Appreciate bye bye. Good morning to Owen O'Mara Welch there, who is the chief executive of Irish Tourism Industries uh, Confederation. All this week, we're giving you a chance to win with the Racing Home for Easter Festival, which of course is held annually at the Mallow Racecourse running this year from Saturday the 8th to Monday the 10th of April. You're invited to come along and enjoy three great days of racing at Cork Racecourse. There's live music. Of course, always on Easter Sunday, it's a special day for the ladies, the most stylish lady event. Plenty of children's entertainment with the family fun racing day and that's down for the Easter Monday. If you want to purchase tickets, you can. You go to corkracecourse.ie. But every day this week, we have a pair of tickets to give uh, away for racing on Easter Sunday but then on Friday all of our five winners names will go into the hat and one will get their prize up upgraded to a uh, in Springford Hall and an overnight stay and of course Springford Hall is located just 10 minutes from the race course so what we will do at some stage on the programme this morning and this is how we'll do it every day this week I will play a racing sound effect when you hear the sound effect you'll then have 10 minutes to text or WhatsApp in your name and address to 086 to 103 103 and then John Paul will randomly select a daily prize winner. So this is the sound effect you'll be listening out for. And they're off. Let me give you that again. And they're off. They're off. When next I play that sound effects, that will be your cue to text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 for your chance today to win a pair of tickets to go racing on Easter Sunday. But at the end of the week, you'll be packing your bag for an overnight stay in uh, Springford Hall Country House Hotel, uh, along with a four-course meal overlooking the track. That is a lovely, lovely prize. Celebrating the racing home for Easter Festival for 2023. Okay, let me return to your thoughts and comments coming in on the NCT when I was speaking with uh, James O'Connor. The NCT seems to be one of those issues that really, really get people going and it really riles uh, people. Someone, for example, says, Patricia, the whole NCT, that whole test is a complete farce. The company that are doing the NCT, they're a company called Aplus. Surely they're not fulfilling their contract when people have to wait so long. I don't know how long their contract is with the company. I think it's a 10-year contract, I think is, is what they have. Anyway, this listener feels it should be ceased with immediate effect. My last NCT says this texture, my car passed all the road worthiness test part of the test and then the tester noticed. I had a small number plate bulb 
that was blown and therefore would not issue me with the NCT cert. So I had to go back get the bulb replaced and then have a visual inspection done and then and only then was I issued with my NCT uh, certificate. I just don't know how a small number plate bulb what that has to do with the road worthiness of my vehicle. So very annoyed having to go back again. Someone else says uh, Patricia what to me is a lot more dangerous rather than people driving around with uh, an out of date NCT are all the modified cars with extremely loud exhausts that drive up and down the town of McCroom day and night. And it appears to me, says this texture, like the guards are letting them away with it. These modified exhausts are illegal and have been uh, for years. Yet we have them on a lot of cars with the boy racers in McCroom. It's been going on since the new bypass was open. Or I'm assuming it's got worse, is it, since the new bypass has uh, opened. It is a pure disgrace. Well, I know if they went and brought their car in for an NCT and they had one of those modified on the exhaust, it would fail. But what they do is they change it out for the NCT NCT test and then change it back. The Gardaí will say, because they answer endless amount of calls from people saying, we've got boy racers in our area and it does have a tendency to be late at night, disturbing people trying to sleep. And of course, the big problem the Gardaí have, by the time they get there, they're gone. And it's trying to catch them in the act is always the problem. Mike Imbantry reckons uh, also NCT, it's a joke. It's a way of getting money out of the general public. Mike feels it is a rip-off. He's not a fan of the NCT. Patricia, about the NCT, it should read our roads worthy of our cars, not is your car fit for our roads. The state of a lot of the roads around this country are simply, yeah, very dangerous indeed. And the amount of people that tell us they they head to an NCT to have their NCT done and on the way they'll damage their car and they'll do something that will fail the NCT. And that is really, really frustrating. OK, back to evictions and back in particular to Owen O'Brien and the text that he put out, the uh, Sinn Féin housing spokesperson and the text he, the tweet he put out at the weekend. Jar uh, says, years ago we had the English landlords evicting Ireland Irish people from their land. It's, isn't it amazing how history is starting to repeat itself? The government lifted the eviction ban. We will see thousands of people without any homes. They should have waited until more homes came on stream. But li- lifting the eviction ban with nothing has changed since they introduced the eviction ban last year doesn't make any sense at all to adjure. Hi, Patricia. The straight answer to that disgraceful and disgusting tweet of the Sinn Féin TD, this is according to Michael, is a Dawes suspension, if that is possible. The deputy and his followers got their answer in yesterday's Ireland's Thinks poll in the Sunday Independent. I didn't see the full poll, though I did see something is, did I read somewhere that Holly Kearns is now the most popular leader? She's actually jumped ahead of Mary Lou, which is certainly good news for Holly Kearns. Anyway, uh, Michael said also, looking at that, tweet from Ono Breen on Saturday it shows what would happen if they ever got into power God help this country well if there was an election in the morning Michael they would be in power because they're certainly on the opinion polls and I know people will say it's the poll 
on the day when you go to vote it's the important one but certainly on the opinion polls they're the most popular uh, party 0818 103 103 Mossy in West Cork says Hi Patricia didn't see the owner Bryn tweet but the reality is the eviction ban is widespread across the board even the guard the members some of them themselves will be faced with eviction notice so people simply have to show a lot more compassion or else we'll all just keep going around in circles if the government got the finger out and renovated some of the derelict houses or eased the paperwork for landlords this would help in the greater picture for everywhere for everyone I'm sure there's a lot more solid solutions from people smarter than myself says Amasi well you're not the only one to pick up on vacant properties because Mary was on to us earlier thank you for that Amasi uh, to say uh, she was out and about driving at the weekend in the North Cork area she came across three houses in the same area all of them empty with people crying out for houses it really is a shame to see vacant uh, houses and what I thank you for that Mary what I read with great interest today is not a single council anywhere in the country has applied to the government for extra dedicated staff to tackle what is the scourge of vacant homes and buildings and that's despite the central government putting additional funding that is available for the roles. This is a Podor and Elaine Lachlan in the Examiner writing about it today. They say of the 31 local authorities, 30 have just one dedicated vacant homes officer, even though a single staff member is not regarded as sufficient for the workload, particularly in larger councils. I mean, you think of the size of Cork County Council having one vacant homes officer. It simply is impossible for that person uh, to be able to cover the entire uh, county. Now, if you look to the Central Statistics Office, that's where you go for the figures on how many homes are vacant in this country. They base it on metered electricity consumption. So it's not derelict houses that are not connected to electricity. They say one in 25 homes nationwide are currently vacant. In the last census, 167,000 vacant houses and apartments. And of those, when you dig into the numbers, 48,500 of those were vacant in 2016. And then they were vacant again last year for last year's census in 2022. Now, it was only last month that the local government Minister Kieran O'Donnell uh, was told that Cork County Council had just one vacant homes officer and he accused the local authority and said the local authority needs to get the finger out and apply for more staff where needed. And actually, we spoke with uh, Cork East Fine Gael TD, uh, David Stanton, who had raised the matter with uh, Kieran O'Donnell. And David Stanton had said it, he was absolutely astounded that all of the councils across the country had not applied for the extra vacancy uh, officers. And he'd received confirmation from the housing minister that none, even though had made a case for the funding, even though the funding was there, 150 million euro injection into urban regeneration and development fund for local authorities and that's to tackle vacant and derelict buildings it means the councils would have funds to identify buildings within their communities that are vacant they could buy them, they could do them up and the fund applies to both homes and to commercial premises and the whole idea behind it is that once then the newly restored buildings once they've got them ready they can sell them on or they could rent them any money they generate would go back into that €150 million fund. So that would allow councils then to keep tackling the problems without themselves 
you know, financially being caught for the work. David Stanton said it was perplexing that councillors are not evading of the extra funding for more vacancy uh, offers. Uh, and actually, I did see in the in the paper uh, today that Cork County Council has said that given its size, they say it's extremely difficult for a single vacant homes officer to centrally manage all of the various schemes and programmes. While it hasn't appointed an extra vacancy homes officer, they do say that they've created a property activation and regeneration unit specifically to tackle vacancy, dereliction and property activation. Cork County Council has said in agreement with the department they put in place this dedicated vacant homes unit and they have a full-time equivalent of five staff dedicated to implement the vacant homes officer function within the county. So they they say that they are, are working on it. But I know if I opened the phone lines now I would get very similar texts to the one I had from Mary who happened to be out driving in an area and saw the three vacant houses but everyone would be able to list out in towns and in villages, particularly on main streets where there are derelict and empty properties and people saying, why can't they be done up? 0818 103 103. And a suggestion coming in again that came into us last week on the programme, another listener raising this, saying, Patricia, cannot understand why we are not putting mobile homes on to land that is not being used where all the services are. We lived in a mobile home Patricia for five years on a plot until we had managed to get a deposit together to buy our own home. We were quite happy in that little mobile uh, home. In these days, people expecting a three or a four bedroomed house with room for the trampoline. Those days are well gone. Surely it would be better to be living in a serviced mobile home. Would it not be better than being homeless or trying to raise a family in a hotel or in a hostel? That's a text to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An accounts technician assistant is wanted for McCroom. Email CVs, please, to McCroom at hardwoodfloors.ie. An office administrator is wanted in Clonakilty. CVs to info at carberryplastics.ie. And the Sexual Violence Community Response and Support Services in Bantry. They've got vacancies for two part-time support workers. Please apply through their website, westcorkwomensproject.ie forward slash news. Staff nurse positions are available at Convera Addiction Treatment Centre in Fernands. Email your CV to fernands at convera.ie. You'll find all the details and many, many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, the birth of a baby is probably the most wonderful event in your life. And as parents, we do everything to mind and protect them. So, is it safe to let family members and friends kiss your brand new baby. Irish pharmacist and mother of three, Sheena Mitchell, says no. And she joins me to explain why. Good morning to you, Sheena. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. Now, you're coming to, to this because of highly infectious diseases. So I suppose, talk to me first. What are the risks to a newborn baby by allowing all and sundry to kiss and give the little baby a cuddle? 
Okay, so for newborn babies, particularly under the age of kind of two to three months, their immune system is very immature and it's not as robust as an older child. So they're not really able to fight disease as adequately as they are when they're older. And unfortunately, this means by coming into contact with certain common illnesses, they can get very, very sick and unfortunately end up in hospital. And there has been some severe cases in for where babies will die. And I'll explain that now. But the biggest one would probably be the herpes simplex virus, which we all know because it's the common cause of a cold sore. So someone might come over and not maybe realise how dangerous a cold sore can be to a newborn. But for a young baby, they can actually get a condition called neonatal herpes from this virus. And it's actually just extremely detrimental to their health. It can actually spread into a young baby's organs. They're most at risk of this happening in the first you know, four weeks after birth. And even if they, I suppose, you know, don't kind of become very, very unwell and ultimately die from it, they'll still require several weeks of IV antiviral medicines in hospitals. So that's a really, really serious one for something so simple like a little cold sore. And then at the moment, RSV, which is the respiratory syncytial virus, that causes extremely severe breathing problems in babies. Now, we are at the end of the RSV season, but it is there are still cases around and that typically affects children under four. So, do you know, if you've people come into the house with with young kids, they could very well be carrying RSV and that can cause a lot of breathing and difficulties in babies as well as affecting their heart and brain. And then another one that's really common at the moment, particularly in children under 10 years of age, is hand, foot and, foot and mouth disease. And this is a really nasty illness that just causes rash all around the hands, feet, mouth and even nappy area. But for young newborn babies, they can get an awful lot sicker and have an awful lot of pain and discomfort with it. But telling grandma she can't kiss the one, two day yeah. old, old baby, that's not going to go down well, Sheena. No, and this is exactly why I recorded a podcast um, on this topic, because it's very it's very difficult to deliver that message. Like new new mums are very vulnerable. You're tired, you're exhausted and you're very proud of this wonderful life you've just created. And of course, you want everyone to see and visit the baby. So there has to be an element of kind of practical, sensible, you know, level headed thinking here. So what I'd say is for granny and granddad, that's a different situation particularly if they're they're elder you know you you can absolutely let them hold the baby but you are going to have to stay strong and say no look you can't kiss them right now you're going to play a very important role in this baby's life but for their health and well-being at the moment if you can just keep it to a cuddle and use hand sanitizer before you do that and just you know reassure them that because the one problem with new mums is they're they're very vulnerable so they feel like they're being paranoid or overprotective. But what I suppose I'm trying to emphasize is that you're not and have the confidence to stay strong and insist. You know, it's really, really important. So <laughs> I was telling people, just flick on. I have a little 10 minute episode on it. I was like, flick it on and you, I'll take the blame. <laughs> yeah, pass it around. I, I listened to it. It's, it's a great podcast. And uh, I was thinking straight away, if somebody is listening to us at the moment that that's pregnant, Share this podcast with your family and friends so that they'll know where you're coming from when you bring it up. Exactly. And there's a lot of tips in it, like even things like, you know, if if 
you're kind of maybe worried about telling your in-laws that they're not going to be able to kiss the baby or you've got a sister or brother who are coming over who have young kids and you don't want them kind of pawing the baby. You know, like it's important that they understand, but it can be difficult, especially with in-laws to relay that message. So things like getting your partner maybe to do that job and even a little text beforehand to say, look, the baby's still really little. We'd love to see you. So long as you're all feeling well and no one's sick or has any sniffles, please do come over, but just explain to the kids before you come over that they're not going to be able to get too close to the baby at the moment. So it's it's just about being fair to everyone and, you know, kind of, I suppose, emphasising that you'd love to see them and trying to be diplomatic because it is a difficult, difficult situation. Yeah. What about the siblings, though? I mean, big sister, big brother, absolutely desperate to cuddle and kiss and look after the baby. Yeah, and that's very dad, three under three and a half myself. Oh. I know yeah, I know how easily kids can be put out on the arrival of a new baby because, you know, all of a sudden they're the baby's attached to, to their mum and there's jealousy and all sorts of confusion. So it's really important to let them be involved. But hand hygiene is really important. I would try and discourage them, especially if they're kind of going to crash or preschool or, you know, school, not to be kissing the baby, but they can absolutely try and entertain the baby. And and help them in other ways like getting you a nappy or maybe you know singing to the baby and you I always say young babies under five or six months of age need very little in terms of interaction kind of from their mom now obviously they're getting all the hugs and love but mm. when you have older toddlers it's them that actually need your kind of mental engagement and it's very easy to mind the baby and be chatting to the toddler you know and very important to do that but I would be ensuring that they're using hand gel and washing their hands a lot and just explaining to them that oh the baby's very little but soon you're going to be the one that's going to teach them how to play and aren't you great do you know yeah yeah and with the, <laughs> with the kids just like the grandparents it's the same for everyone because the last thing you want to do is end up isolated or you know like it makes it very difficult with older siblings if you kind of exclude them from the baby's life so it's important they're involved but you just do have to try and gently emphasize that it's going to have to be a little bit from a distance in the early weeks. Yeah, and you know, children took to all the protocols that came in with COVID and the social distancing and the mask wearing and the hand washing. And really a lot of what you're saying is when it comes to a newborn baby, let us all go back to what we did you know, during the height of the pandemic. Yeah, and this is a funny thing because people have kind of said to me, well, why are you saying this now? But this isn't new advice. This is basically, this should have been the case before the pandemic. And people say, you know, I've had people say, well, oh, well, years ago, there was none of this. And I go, well, years ago, babies died from measles and babies didn't have, you know, babies actually had a higher mortality rate. So, you know, for the simple reason of a parent, you know, standing their ground, they are actually potentially saving their baby's life. It sounds OTT, but it's not. I'm always very balanced on my parenting advice. Having gone through it myself, I know like there's no point in having any notions, but it is good healthcare advice just to kind of keep that little bit of distance until the baby is a little bit older around the three month mark. Yeah, that's what somebody's asking. What what age is, is Sheena suggesting it? Is it from when they start getting their vaccines? 
Yeah, and vaccines are really important. So, you know, they do get vaccines at two months of age, but even beyond that, so it does vary from child to child. So the general rule would be around three months. Um, but even after that, if you had a baby that was maybe born prematurely or had any underlying health conditions, like, you know, there are babies who have Down syndrome, who may have cardiac issues or respiratory issues. These babies probably need that kind of care for a longer period of time until they're well and you feel that their immune system is actually stable and developed. So it, it really is case by case. But for a baby with no underlying medical conditions, they really, because someone said to me the other day, well, you know, if you protect them from every little sniffle, they're never going to develop any immune, immune, yeah. immune response. But actually, they're not capable of developing an immune response at that age. So it's, it's you know, that's something that happens later when their immune system is fit, fully developed. And absolutely, you know, like my children all are very aware of the five second rule here. It's not that they live in a bubble, but when they're under three months of age, they don't actually have the capability to develop that response. They're relying on whatever, um, you know, immune, they kind of, I suppose, the immune responses that they have gotten from their mother in utero. So some of that passes on, but it's, it's still not enough to protect them from these seasonal type illnesses that are going around at the moment. And cold sores are just an absolute hazard. So even for a mum who has a baby and they have a cold sore themselves, like I used to suffer from them and definitely using something like a compete cold sore patch over the blister helps because sometimes you do just touch your mouth without realising it and you might not realise that you've touched it and then you might not use your hand gel, you know, or wash yeah. your hands. So. It's so easy important. to pass on. Yeah. Maura says, I 100% agree with Sheena. My granddaughter was born just as COVID hit. And as my daughter was a single mom, I was with my daughter. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We were the only people who had any contact with the baby. She never got one single bug until she started in crash. So keep her in that bubble. Proved you are protecting the baby. Yeah, and there's a limit to how long you can do that. That's the flip side, I suppose, of the conversation, because we do know that, you know, in healthy babies, they are, unfortunately, and as your listener there said, they're going to catch things when they're exposed to larger groups. So it's it's one thing exposing them and allowing them to develop an immune response when they have an immune system. But when their immune system is not actually and ready to fight disease, 
you know, it's it's just, I suppose, dangerous and hazardous. Yeah, you're you're protecting you're protecting the little baby. But just finally, Sheena, that smell, that newborn baby smell. <laughs> I mean, we yeah. all. What is it about that? We all just as soon as you cuddle a newborn baby, and of course, you go straight in to have a good sniff of the baby. I know, I know. And actually, it has been scientifically proven that in mothers, you know, hugging, cuddling, smelling a baby releases oxytocin. And that is a hormone that's very involved in helping a mother bond with their own baby. But we do know that it's not just mothers who fall prey (laughs) to this lure of of a nice smelling baby. So newborns, basically giving them a little cuddle can help to release dopamine. And, you know, it is it is a happy hormone. So babies, I suppose, even though they're very vulnerable, you know, we have um, they have been very cleverly designed to lure us in at every single angle. So it can be hard to kind of step back. It's funny because I think most mothers will say to you, you know, once you've had a baby, if you're in the supermarket and you hear a baby cry, it's like your nails going down a chalkboard. Yeah, like you just yeah. want to go and, and help the baby. You're like, someone feed that child, you know? It's So it's the same kind of thing. It's an innate response that we just have, you know, I suppose like any kind of creature, we want to protect our young. So here, sometimes it's just important to remember that protecting our young involves stepping back. Okay, and people can get your, uh, wherever they get their podcast from, Wonder Care. Yeah, a Wonder Care podcast. And I just finished off a whole infectious season, uh, infectious diseases season. And the, you know, should I let people kiss my baby is just a nice little episode. It's, as I said, to flick on. It's only 10 minutes long. Yeah. Share it with the family and friends. Get the message out there. (laughs) All right. Listen, Sheena, pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, uh, Sheena Mitchell, pharmacist, but as she said also, mum of three herself. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And we're off to the South Munster Citizens Information Service based in Mallow Citizens Information Centre where I'm joined by Kate Crowley, one of the information officers. Good morning, or Karen Crowley. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Trisha, your friends. I have a daughter called Kate. Oh, is that it? That's it. Okay, today we're looking at uh, student grants. How busy are you at the moment at the Citizens Information Service? Quite busy at the moment. We're assisting both on the phone and through the centre here in Mallow and the other centres across the region. Um, we would still ask, though, that people would ring us first as it's not always possible to see, be seen as a walk-in if we're particularly busy because appointments will get priority. OK, make your appointment first. OK, as we mentioned, today's topic, uh, student grants, obviously very topical at this time of the year. A lot of the pre, the uh, orals are going on at the moment. Best of luck to everybody in the leaving search. So what is the main option for those thinking of applying for support? So, yeah, it's the time of the year when students are prepping for the leaving search and looking ahead to taking up the college place in autumn. The student grant support scheme is the main financial scheme for students studying in Ireland and abroad. It's also known as SUSE, that's possibly what most people know of, because Students Universal Support Ireland is the awarding authority for the student grant scheme. And when does the application process, when does it actually open? So the process opens to all applicants from next Thursday, the 13th of April. 
that's for new applicants. If you're already getting a student grant, you'll be able to submit a renewal or you have been able to submit a renewal since the 9th of March. Now, the closing date for applications last year was November, but for this year, we're actually unsure yet. They haven't confirmed it. Uh, does that mean that you have to apply for it every year? Yeah, you you're do? approved for one year at a time. So we'll say if you're starting a three-year course, you will need to reapply each year. And that's to allow for any change in circumstances because you will need to let Susie know. Now, reapplying is generally just a confirmation regarding your circumstances. So it's really important not to forget to log in and do this so that you will continue to receive the grant. And it's usually just a case of pushing a button to confirm circumstances that haven't changed. Okay, so for those applying for the first time, what does, what does one need before starting an application? You must make the grant application online. That's the first thing. And to register with Susie and apply online for a student grant, you're going to need your public service number, so your PPS, an email address and a phone number. And always remember that the applicant is the student, not, not the parent, the parent yeah. even though yeah. we all know it's ourselves yeah. putting it in, but it is yeah, further. That, that comes up uh, every year. Now, there's a lot of students might be still unsure about their course. What if they don't know which course they're going to be applying for? You don't need to know what course you'll be taking to apply online. So if you tick the Susie box on your CAO application, the CAO will notify Susie of the course that you have accepted at the particular time that they're awarded. Who qualifies for a Susie grant? This is a biggie. So there's a number of conditions which applicants must satisfy and to qualify for student grants, you must meet all of these conditions, okay? So these include the nationality condition, the residence condition. So residence is generally three out of the previous five years. You must have been in Ireland. The means test. It must be an approved course of study. So it's important to check this because, you know, you have the CAO listing. 99% are probably approved, but double check. You must be progressing. So you must be progressing from your previous level of study. So maybe you might have done a level five or level six certificate. You must then be going on to do a level seven or level eight. And you must meet the maximum period of grant assistance. There's quite a lot in that. So maybe anyone that's unsure should contact your local citizens information service for more details. Or you can actually contact Susie themselves as they have a health desk for email and telephone queries. It's also important to note that Ukrainian students coming to Ireland will have access to free tuition fees and grants that's the same as if as they're Irish. Or Irish yeah. 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 Okay, and then what does that student grant actually cover? So the student grant is divided into the maintenance grant and the fee grant. The maintenance grant helps students with their living costs, so that usually comes as a monthly, a monthly um, deposit in your bank account. The fee grants pay tuition fees for students who don't qualify for the free fees scheme. And the fee grant can also pay the student contribution and the cost of essential field trips. Students doing PLC courses don't get fee grants, but if you qualify for a maintenance grant, you are exempt from PLC participant contribution. Now, a number of students will opt to go out of the country. I know veterinary, for example, there's so few places here. A lot of young students go to Poland uh, to study to become uh, vets. Can you get a grant if you're studying outside of the state? You can, but it's, it's limited. So you can get a maintenance grant. That's the only funding available to eligible undergrad students pursuing approved courses outside of Ireland. The fee grant is not available to 
students studying outside of Ireland. But for those studying outside the state, the maintenance grants funding is available and it's available for undergraduate study only. The only exception to this rule is for students attending postgrad courses in approved institutions in Northern Ireland. And again, Ukrainian students coming to Ireland will have access to free tuition fees and grants. And then when the dreaded means test, whenever, you, whenever we mention means test, people have a tendency to panic. What's taken into account under this means test? So the means test for a student grant in the year 23-24, it's based on you or your family's gross income for the previous full tax year, so that would be 2022. However, if you or your family have had a change of circumstances that's likely to be permanent, such as a job loss, since the 31st of December 22, your changed circumstances will be taken into account and it's really important to let Susie know of this. Is that the parents' income only you're talking about? Unfortunately not. That's the parents' income and the students' income. However, €6,552 of the students' income, which they earn outside term time, is excluded. Now, people ask, what's outside term time? So outside term time would be two weeks at Christmas, two weeks at Easter, and 12 weeks during the summer months of June, July, and August. However, if a student has a job during term time at weekends, for example, and this is where it comes into play, that income will be counted in the mean test and added to the parents' income. Okay, you need to keep that in mind. And what type of limits apply under that grant? It varies, but for example, if the student was coming from a family with less than four dependent children, in order to qualify for the maximum rate of grant, the total income in the previous tax year would have to have been 40875 or less. Now, there is, if you have more than one student attending college from the same household, the, the limit may be increased by 4950 for each student. And how much is the maximum amount paid out under the grant? It varies. So the Susie grant rate you get depends on the following factors. So your assessed means, the distance you normally live from the college you're going to attend, and if you are a disadvantaged student. Now, if you normally live 30 kilometres or less from your college, you get what's known as the adjacent rate. If you live further away than 30 kilometres, you get the non-adjacent rate. This is based on the distance of where you ordinarily lived in the year before you start college. For example, your home address, not your college address. Now, the maximum non-adjacent rate is 3677, so that comes in. It'll be paid over nine months at about 408 euros a month. And the maximum adjacent rate is 1,613 euros, again, spread over nine months. Disadvantaged students can qualify for what's called a special rate of maintenance grant. So how do you qualify for that special rate maintenance grant? In order to be considered a disadvantaged student, one of your parents would need to have been on a long-term social welfare payment on the 31st of December 2022, and their net income would have to be less than 24,500, not including qualified child increases and standard exclusions. So, if this is the case, a special rate of grant is paid, and the non-adjacent special rate of grant is 6971, so a significant increase, so mm. that would come down to 77450 per month. And the adjacent special rate of grant is 2936, so that would be 326.22 per month. So it's really important to check if you would qualify for okay. the special yeah. rate of maintenance grant. And of course, they won't know unless you apply and give them all of the uh, information. And if you apply for a student uh, grant, you know, believing you're entitled, and then for whatever reason, you're refused, is that it or can you appeal? No, you can appeal. So if you think you've been unjustly refused a grant, you may appeal online to Susie. You must appeal within 30 days of getting your decision. Now, this is really important. You must get in within those 30 days. 
if your appeal is turned down and you feel that the conditions have not been interpreted correctly, you can make a further appeal to the Student Grants Appeals Board. Now, you should submit your appeal online to the Student Grants Appeals Board. And again, it must be submitted within 30 days from the date of the letter from the appeals officer in Susie. And if you start a course, you, you're, you get a SUSE grant and then for whatever reason you decide this isn't the course for you and you opt out and you might decide I'll do a different course the next year. How does that affect your SUSE grant? Okay, and this does happen. We yeah. all know it yeah. and we've all experienced it. So in general, we're going to say you do not get a grant for repeating a year or attending a course at a level that does not represent progression. I suppose what that means in simple terms is if a student goes in in first year, decides they don't like the course, and but they complete the whole year and they start a new course, then the first year of the new course, you're not going to get a grant for it, but you can pick it up again in second year. Okay. So that's really important to remember. And the same if you need to repeat a year. You won't get a paid for repeat, but you will pick up your grant again in the next year. However, second chance students may be eligible for a grant. So a second chance student is someone who's aged over 23 and did not successfully complete an earlier course. And they're returning to do an approved course after a full break in studies of at least five years. You may do another course during the five-year break and still qualify as a second chance student sort of tongue twister, if the course was below undergraduate level and meets the progression rules. So again, you must be moving from level five to six to yeah, seven it's, to all about, it's all about a progress, progression, but that's understandable. You can't have somebody stuck in one place and getting the grant uh, every year. Uh, what about then um, expenses like, like books or laptops? Any help there? There is. There's a separate from the student grant, privileges have access to what's known as the Student Assistance Fund. So students can apply directly through their college for assistance with these types of expenses. Typically, this involves completing an application form and going for a short interview in the college. Now, there's no set amount of funding under this scheme. The college will assess each and on its own merits. And then for mature students, many mature students are returning uh, to college. But if you're a mature student and you're currently on a social welfare payment, what happens there? Can you get a student, student grant? So if you're in that situation, you may qualify for the Back to Education Allowance or the student grant, depending on your circumstances. You can't get back to education and a full student grant at the same time. So it would be best to have a chat with either ourselves or your local social welfare office to see which is the best option for you. OK, we've gone through a lot of information there with a lot, lot of facts and uh, figures. If somebody would like more information, including the parents of a young person who might like more information, what do you suggest they do? As always, if you want more information about applying for student grant, it's best to give us a call here in Mallow or anywhere across the region. We'll be able to look at your current circumstances and make you aware of the various schemes that apply to you. And this is where we can help. We can lay out all of the options and you can make the decision then as to which suits you, you know, you have an informed choice. And as always, our service is free, non-judgmental and confidential, and we're very happy to offer any help we can. Now, you can ring us here in Mallow on 0818078000 or down in Bantry on 0818078390. Now, there is more information available as well on citizensinformation.ie, and there you'll get information on Susie Grant as well as the contact details for your local centre. Okay, as always, you're a mine of information. Uh, Karen, thank you for that uh, and have a good day and we'll talk again in the coming weeks. Um, good morning to you. That is Karen Crowley, Information Officer with the South Munster Citizens Information Service in Mallow. Somebody says, can you repeat those numbers? I can. The Mallow number is 0818 078 
triple zero oh eight one eight zero seven eight triple zero. And the Bantry number is another 0818 number, but theirs is 078390. 0818078390. And can I also suggest, we certainly here in the office find the Citizens Information website that, and they just update the information on that so quickly, particularly on things like around the budget and whatever. And I have never, ever gotten... Uh, misinformation from the citizens information via their website they really are up to date and spot on and it's citizensinformation.ie that is their website if uh, you want help with that or indeed anything else okay 0818 103 103 that's our phone number we need to take a break because we have news at 12 midday on the way it is Monday so that means Annalise Drussell our nutritional therapist will be joining us have you a question for Annalise if you do you can call Call John Paul at 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp a question into the studio to 0862 103 103 and don't forget in the next hour we will be playing the cue to text uh, your chance to win at the Racing Home for Easter Festival. We've got daily prizes of tickets for two to uh, for Easter Sunday Racing Home for Easter and then of course we've got an upgraded prize which we will give away on Friday. Friday, somebody gets their prize upgraded to dinner for two at the restaurant and an overnight stay at uh, Springford Hall. That's all coming up after news at 12. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now let me take a look at some of your calls and comments uh, coming into the programme. Fantastic news from Margaret who uh, well, last week Margaret had come on to us because the NCT he was out in the car, son doing the driving test and all of that. And so many people this morning said, how did Margaret get on with the NCT? Well, she's been on to say the car passed the NCT with flying colours, which is terrific. And her son is due to take his driving test on Wednesday morning and she has promised she will let us know how her son gets on on Wednesdays. Fingers crossed, says Margaret, that he goes like the car did at the NCT in Blarney on uh, Thursday. Well, Margaret, I can tell you there's so many people across Cork City and County rooting for your son. You can let him know that. There's a lot of people behind him. We'll all keep him in our thoughts and prayers for Wednesday morning because it's one of those things. I mean, I can clearly remember the day I did my driving test and the nervousness that you feel and all of that and then the sense of achievement when you pass your NCT is something absolutely wonderful so please God everything will go okay for him and thank you uh, for contacting us let us know your NCT your car sales through the NCT because we're still getting in calls then because we started speaking about the NCT uh, today and not everybody happy with NCT Mike in uh, Bantry for example says the NCT uh, Patricia only favours the rich it's the rich that have good cars and good vans and they'll have new cars and vans where it's the working man, uh, the builder, the plumber, the carpenter, the, the, the van and dads that have to ferry the children to and from uh, school. A lot of wear and tear on those cars, says Mike, and they are the ones that always seem to end up not passing the NCT. Uh, Jim in Glanakilty said a lot of reasons for cars failing 
the NCT is the state of the roads and he cites an example. He said there's a pothole near the roundabout outside Supervalue in Clonakilty. He says the hole is right next to a manhole cover and it's only a matter of time before the manhole manhole cover ends up going into the pothole and what happens then? Cars are driving around the pothole to try to avoid it. Surely public representatives have been driving over these roads and have come across this particular pothole. We have had politicians who've travelled all around the world for St. Patrick's Day. Can they not see the quality of roads in other countries and jurisdictions? I would be embarrassed, says Jim Inclam to bring people to parts of this country, the the state that the road surfaces are uh, in. They are really, really bad. 0818-103-103. And actually a number of people citing that, that it's the condition of our roads that's leading to a lot of people failing their driving test. On boarded up houses, uh, David says plenty of houses could be given out if they sorted out the number of boarded up houses. I've seen so many of them in the north side of Cork City, says David, boarded up. But if they were released, surely that would help with the housing crisis that we are currently in. And on the vacant property tax that I mentioned, we know that there's grants there. Somebody says, uh, Patricia, I've applied for the vacant property Grant and I am entitled to it for the for the property that I am wait that I am working on. But I have to pay for all of the work first before I'll actually be entitled to the grant. And I didn't realise that. And that certainly will put off some uh, people because not everybody will have the money up front. Whereas if they can get the grant at the same time as they're putting the money together. But the, the only thing is with, with the majority of grants, unfortunately, that's the way it seems to work, isn't it? You get the work done and then you claim back the money afterwards. I know for people, for example, who go on the cataract, the Belfast or Blind uh, bus, when they go to the cross-border treatment, they have to pay out the money first and then they claim it back afterwards. And for whatever reason, it's the way it seems to work with all grants. Um, and, and I suppose that's the guarantee, to, to guarantee I can see the sense of it. It's to guarantee that the work does get carried out, whereas you may have some disingenuous people who would apply for the grant, take the money, and then never get the work done. So I kind of can understand uh, why they are uh, doing it. Tony has been on looking for a little bit of help. Can anybody help? He's looking for the words of a song. Now, I have never heard of this song. I googled it and nothing is coming up, so I don't know whether he has the correct name of the song or not. But he claims the song is called The Lion Kill Fusiliers. The Lion Kill is it Kills Fusiliers? That doesn't even sound right. And it was by a gentleman called Bill Cody. And of course, as soon as you Google Bill Cody, you're getting you're getting Buffalo Bill. It's but it's not Buffalo Bill because it was written in 1966, according to Doney. He's looking for a copy of the words. He says that it appeared in a sugar factory magazine at the time. Does that ring a bell with anyone? And if it does, would anybody have a copy of the words of that song written by a gentleman called Bill Cody in 1966? I don't know why Donny is looking for it, but he is. And in particular, he needs the words of the song. If anybody can help us with that or point us in the direction of where we can send 
Donny, so he'll be able to track down the words. Uh, please do. 0818103103. Hold off on texting questions to Annalise. I have made a note of questions that came in earlier for Annalise, but hold off because I just don't want them to get lost in the middle of our racing home for Easter festival. So hold off on that. But interesting, when we were talking about grants for the vacant houses and, and the derelict properties that's there at the moment, little bit of good news coming out from the Environment Minister, Eamon Ryan. And God knows a lot of people pick on Eamon Ryan, but it's so it's good to share a good news story from him. He is planning on cutting VAT on solar panels. VAT on solar panels at the moment is a 23%, which I could never understand why VAT on solar panels is a, is a 23%. Uh, percent. Anyway, it's going to be reduced to zero. The Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, says the government was ready to sign off on the abolition of VAT on the supply and installation of domestic solar panels. And the change is expected to, to deliver average savings of about a thousand euro on the cost of installing solar panels. When this VAT saving is combined with the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland grants of up to 2,400, it would mean that getting the cost of going solar on average, now this is average because it depends on the size of the house and depends on how many solar panels uh, you're putting in, but it could it could come out at €5,600. Euro. The changes come as the government aims to make it cheaper for people to generate their own electricity and at the cost that we're all paying for electricity at the moment wouldn't it be great if it our own electricity? Minister Eamon Ryan said yesterday that scrapping VAT would mean solar panels could pay for themselves in six years, after which then you would produce free electricity for at least another 20 years. The government has already scrapped the requirement, of course, for planning permission for solar panels on any residential homes, while the micro-generation scheme that allows householders to sell extra energy energy back into the grid. Eamon Ryan also has announced plans to put solar panels on every school across the country to help protect them against rising energy prices and that certainly will be very welcomed by principals of both primary and secondary schools. Fill the entire roof with these solar panels and let them generate their own electricity and anything that they have left, let them sell it back into the grid. The schools will be actually able to make some money uh, while also completely cutting out their electricity bills. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Bingo is continuing in Butterfront GAA Hall tonight at 8 with a jackpot of €3,500 Ballyhay Farm Fest will take place on Sunday the 9th of July It's in Charleville Showgrounds The reason we're mentioning it so early they are looking for contestants to take part in Cork's Fittest Farmer Challenge. Teams of five, limited to ten teams, with prizes of up to €500 in fuel vouchers for team members. You can register by emailing ballyhayfarmfest on gmail.com. And the closing date for entries for the Young Voices Art Competition organised by Ballyhowry Development is Sunday the 30th of April. You can check out ballyhowrydevelopment.com for full details of age categories and for, for the themes. 
and Bantering Memory Cafe will be held this Wednesday from 11am to 1. It'll be in the library in the Maritime Hotel. This cafe is free. It provides a warm, welcoming place for people to meet others, also living with dementia and cognitive impairment, and also very much welcomed are their families and friends. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And you can stop texting and WhatsApping us for our racing home for Easter Festival because a pair of tickets to go to Mallow Racecourse to go racing on Easter Sunday, winging its way to John Long uh, in Strand Place in Yall. Congratulations, John Long from Yall. You are today's winner of a pair of tickets to go racing for Easter Sunday, but you're also now in with a chance of winning dinner for two in the restaurant at Cork Racecourse on Easter Sunday. Uh, your prize will include admission, race card, reserved table in the restaurant, enjoy a four-course meal overlooking the track and then when it's all finished and you're exhausted from all the racing, uh, you will uh, go uh, and get an overnight stay for two adults in Springford Hall Country House Hotel and Springford Hall, of course, is uh, located uh, only 10 minutes from the race course. That is a wonderful, wonderful prize. Every day this week, we'll have the daily prize winner for, for a pair of tickets, but one listener gets their prize upgraded to that great stay in Springford along with dinner at the restaurant in the race course. And similar to today, we'll play this sound effect. And they're off. And when you hear that sound effect tomorrow, you need to get texting or WhatsApping. And three great days of racing at Cork Racecourse are planned as part of the Racing Home for Easter Festival, Saturday the 8th of April to Monday the 10th. And if you'd like to get tickets, you can corkracecourse.ie. We were speaking about potholes and people were bad potholes and some were saying it's the reason that a lot of people that they fail their NCT their car could be in perfect working order driving to the NCT centre to get the test done and bang they had a massive pothole and they could actually do damage to the car John in Cove listening to me mentioning potholes he says when anybody visits Ireland uh, for example when people will remember when Prince Charles came to Cork or where the Queen before that uh, came to Cork uh, the roads were all tarred and everything was done up beautifully if we get dignity into the area. It's the best thing for roads. So we know next week there's going to be a visit of one President Joe Biden. He'll be travelling around Louth in May, May when he's going to Dublin. It's not unfortunately coming to us here in uh, Cork. So maybe that's what we need. Some kind of a presidential visit or some kind of a royal visit. It's the only way that we will get our roads done up. And that's a kind of a very cynical view from John in Cove. Thank you for that, um, John. And a, a couple of messages in earlier. My apologies, I just didn't get around to them. People are asking, did I watch Baz on DIY uh, SOS, the big build Ireland uh, last night? I did. It's just such a feel good factor programme. And it was yet another heartwarming uh, addition. And actually Baz is quoted in the paper today as saying he has been bowled over by the generosity of Irish people 
from when he started doing the DIY SOS uh, programmes. He says at a time when the country faces huge challenges like the housing crisis, he said it always he's always surprised at how much communities rally together to help those in need. He said every time you start a new project, he starts to think, I wonder, will we run out of goodwill on this one? But he said it has never happened yet. And he says a big part of DIY SOS are the suppliers and the companies who come on board uh, to help and he said it's never been an issue these companies are always and they give of their service and they give of their goods free of charge it really is amazing he said you can't put a price on people's goodwill and he said sometimes I think the harder the times the more people will dig together because they know how difficult it is and they need to feel that they're doing a bit of goodness DIY SOS the Big Build Ireland is now in its fourth uh, series and critical to the success is getting up to a thousand trades people to volunteer their expertise and their time and to do it free of charge to help families in need to get them their dream home and of course in this series they've been with us here in Cork they've been to Athlone, uh, Ennis and uh, Sligo and many volunteers it seems find this kind of work addictive as they donate uh, their time and and he says you know they're, they're donating their time to help out total strangers whatever about helping out people in your area and somebody you know or a family member but it's it's just it's so amazing to see people who will travel from some other part of the country just to come and help out. He said people get very parochial about it, and then other people, he said, come from all over the country, and this is their thing. They'll take a whole week off work, and then they'll go away with the crew to the project site just to help out. You've got other people who'll give up a day or two of their time. He said all of that work, all volunteers, is so important. And he said, I think anyone who volunteers they're getting something from it he said you're getting paid in something spiritual you're getting something much much more deeper out of it and with the DIY SOS programme he said when you see the family on the first day of the build and then you see the family going back into their home on the last day and it's all just so incredibly moving. He said it does become a little bit of an addiction. You get addicted to it. Doing good stuff for other people is very contagious, says Baz. It just feels good. And he said the show has that ultimate feel-good factor. He says it has a nice balance. It's palatable and moving and inspiring and it's got all of the right ingredients. And I 100% have to uh, agree with them. I mean, I don't think there's an episode where I don't cry at some at some stage, but I spend the majority of time with a big smile on my face and I think that big reveal at the end and even though you're watching people being very emotional, both the family that are going back into their home and you're also watching the volunteers who are clearly very emotional but yeah it's it's a, it's a one of those brilliant concepts of a program and Baz um Ash Ash Maway, I think, does it so well and the teams do it so well. And I think anyone listening who does any type of volunteering will tell you that they get so much more out of the volunteering work than the person and the people they are helping. And countless times I get the great honour on this programme of speaking with people who have dedicated their entire lives to volunteering. And, you know, when you ask them, they all talk about 
what they get back from being a volunteer. It's just, it's, it is, as Baz says, it is a real feel-good factor. And it's something I'm always saying to people, if you, you know, if you move new into an area or perhaps you retire or perhaps you have more time in your hands and you just, you know, you find yourself at a bit of a loss and find yourself going into yourself. I'm always saying to people, go out and volunteer, go out and find, there might be a charity shop in your area. Charity shops are always looking for uh, volunteers. You'd be surprised uh, at how many people look for volunteers but you go out and of course it opens up a whole new group of friends uh, to you as well but what you will get back from uh, volunteering really is uh, fantastic so well done so yes to the people who said did, did I watch DIY SOS last night I did and that poor poor man I and mean, there he is a firefighter out doing incredible work and just a freak accident during a fire and devastating con- con- uh, consequences for him and for his little family but hopefully now this will help him to get right back on the road to recovery. And then following that programme, I don't know how many others stayed with the RTE to watch the programme that came on afterwards. It was a new programme. It's the new one with Claire Byrne. Ireland's the new quiz show, Ireland's Smartest. And it does appear, I kind of heard over the weekend, that Claire Byrne is now the front runner to succeed Ryan Tuberty on the Late Late Show if you are a gambling person. She's almost odds on at this stage because it is almost looking like RTE are going to go for a female. They've had three male presenters of the Late Late. They obviously want to do something, stick as much as they can with the format, but they're trying to inject us with something new into it and it looks like it is going to be uh, Claire Byrne. Now, I was surprised when I first heard it because she sort of took a step back from the Claire Byrne programme on TV because she said she wanted to spend more time with children, with her own children but I suppose being offered the late late might have been just too big an offer for her to turn down so it does, it hasn't been confirmed yet but it is looking like it. But this particular programme would have been recorded actually would have been recorded before Ryan Tobery had even mentioned that he was going to retire from the Late Late Show and it's a half hour programme and the idea behind it is it's pitting Ireland's most intelligent quizzers against one another. There's a general knowledge round, there's a category round and then there is a quick fire round and then at the end of the competition, at the, I don't know how many weeks it's actually running for, but Sunday nights at half past seven, uh, somebody will uh, have the accolade of becoming Ireland's smartest. And Ireland's smartest is the name of the programme. So I watched it because I, I do like quiz shows. So I watched it with interest last night. Mm. I was kind of hoping that it was going to be something along the lines of Anne Robinson and the weakest link. Now, I'm not saying Claire Byrne would be anything like Anne Robinson, but I thought I was hoping it would be something like that or maybe something with something like the, the comedy that's in the, the chase can be very funny at times. And instead, it just and maybe it's just me. I thought it just felt a little bit bland. I thought it felt a little bit flat. Now, I will, because it, if it's coming on straight after Baz and DIY SOS, I'll possibly stay with it and I'll give it another go and I'll watch it again next week. But I think the big one that it's missing out on is the fact that there's no prize money. They're not there to win anything else. All they're there to win is, I think Claire Byrne said, you win something money can't buy. <laughs> That's the, the title of Ireland's smartest. I think it would have been maybe a little bit better if there was some cash 
prize inside in it as all. So I take it they'll just go away with you know, what the trophy looks like, some kind of a trophy saying Ireland's uh, smartest. But as I say, just felt a bit flat. Maybe maybe it would pick up. Maybe and the three contestants uh, were in it. Anyway, your thoughts if you did watch that, but uh, definitely um, loved loved DIY SOS. 0818 We are looking for questions, please, for... Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist. If you have a question for Annalise, you can get that in to John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me your questions to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Attention Cork. Bus Connects Cork is part of the National Transport Authority's plan for a sustainable public transport network for the Cork metropolitan area. After taking into consideration your feedback from last year, we have now started the second round of public consultation for the sustainable transport corridors. For Cork, Bus Connects is essential in think climate change, as well as being safer for cyclists and pedestrians, reducing the need for car journeys with a more reliable bus service. As Cork has set itself the ambition to become a climate-neutral city by 2030, Bus Connects will help achieve this target. To view the revised proposals and to give further feedback, please visit busconnects.ie. Bus Connects, an initiative of the Government of Ireland. Spring into action. Borrow up to €100,000 from Mallow Credit Union. If it's time for a new car or a new kitchen, apply online or in any of our branches in Mallow, Mill Street, Bodavent, Charleville, Drumcolour. Our dedicated loans team will see you through. Visit mallowcu.ie. Mallow Credit Union is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Loans are subject to a warning. If you do not meet the repayments of your loan, your account will go into arrears. This may affect your credit rating, which may limit your ability to access credit in the future. TNCs apply. Question, what's the one thing that can take you from bedhead to ready to head, from running late to running laps, or from afternoon slump to afternoon one? It's coffee, right? Wake up your day with a fresh cup of Rosa coffee from your local Maxall. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 today on C103. Nora was on uh, to say, Patricia, I was just texting the same as what you said about the new quiz show that started Ireland's uh, Smartest. It just seemed a little too serious for me. Not much fun going on. Maybe it'll loosen up a little bit. I don't know, but it it is recorded. So I imagine all of the episodes will look pretty much uh, the same. And I love quiz programmes, says Nora. I think it would be good to create an Irish Chase edition. Yeah, I was hoping for either an Irish Chase edition or something like Anne Robinson. But then 
and the weakest link is, is a kind of based on her personality more than anything. And Margaret said, Patricia was up online the day Damien Tiernan is to get the Late Late Show. I am assuming, Margaret, I didn't see it, but I'm assuming that that was uh, an April Fool's Day on Saturday. The amount of people that I saw on April Fool's that was going to be taking over the Late Late Show was unreal. Uh, it's looking like the money on. It's going to be Claire Byrne. Jim says, hi, Patricia. I think that this is one Jim to another Jim. Jim in Clonakilty, who was given out about the condition of a particular road in Clonakilty, would need to borrow those signs that you mentioned about taking out your dentures and tri- and tightening your bra straps because of the problems with potholes. If he puts up a sign like that, maybe, just maybe, the council might come out and do something about it. Uh, Michael says, hi, Patricia. I heard Barry your newsreader talking about food inflation. Well, I have one for you. Just one example of bread. It went up by 20 cent in one go. That happened a couple of weeks ago. I have to wonder why, as wheat prices seem to be dropping sharply and bread has already had huge increases uh, previously and it has gone up again. I appreciate the cost of energy, but a 20 cent jump in one go does seem very excessive to uh, Michael. And I I don't know if it's just me, but I was out doing the the shop on uh, Saturday. Everything seems to be gone up. I mean, literally everything seems to be gone up. And I think before I probably wasn't as conscious how much everything was, but I'm kind of now making a note of making a mint note in my head how much something is and something that might have been 2.29 this week. You suddenly go in next week and it could be 2.49 or 2.59 and it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Where and when is it all going to end? Talking of roads, somebody says the N71 road banned into Clan, absolute disgrace in parts, especially at Finbar Gap from Finbar Galvins to Gagan. How is there not something done about this? And a shout out for help. Hi Patricia, I live in Kerry. I'm looking for somebody to repair my thread mill. I can't get anyone here in Kerry. No one seems to be doing this anymore repairing a thread mill. I could travel to Cork or to Limerick and take it with me as I have a van. Would any of your listeners know of anyone or anywhere that I can go to get a thread mill fixed. I need to increase my exercises. I'm starting to put on too much weight. I used to walk on it regularly. However, it's not at a lot of mileage up on it. Can somebody help please? This is Diane in Kerry and you can pass my number on. Uh, Diane's number is with the text uh, to anyone. Does anybody know thread m- where you get a thread mill uh, fixed? Uh, because I, and I'm so, we've gone so bad haven't we when something breaks it's almost like you assume I should just go out and buy a, a new one but I think now with cost of living people are looking at let's get something repaired and of course tread mills can cost money as well so you're dead right to be trying to get it repaired but can you get a tread mill repaired is the question Diane is asking if anyone can help Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic uh, joining me good afternoon to you Annalise afternoon Patricia and you're, you're very welcome now somebody who got in with a text bright and early this morning and I made a note of it to make sure that I wouldn't lose it in the middle of all the other texts saying hi I'm texting early for Annalise please uh, Nutri Advanced Perimeno Plus is that enough to be taking or should I be taking something else with it I'm going through the menopause at the moment your advice please so this is a product Patricia that has a combination of different things to support women with the perimenopause symptoms so there's stuff in there for um, the brain fog, forgetfulness, for the anxiety. There is plant-based hormones to prop up your own dropping estrogen. 
there's the B vitamins for a bit of energy, again, for nervous system function. Um, it's a lovely, lovely product and we sell a lot of it and it works very, very well. So the question is, is it enough? It's a hard one to know really for sure. Like a lot of people like to take things um, f- like a multivitamin. I don't really generally recommend people take a multi if their diet is good, but that isn't a complete product. So it definitely wouldn't have things like maybe some people with menopause might be worried about osteoporosis. So then in that case, you're looking to take vitamin D, 3, K2, possibly a bit of calcium and magnesium mix as well if you feel you're at risk of osteoporosis. So it doesn't cover absolutely everything. If it's managing your symptoms, great. If it's not managing your symptoms, you might want to add um, an extra, maybe a little bit of plant-based hormone support. So you might want to add Don Kwai. I know is a very nice one. Terra Nova does Don Kwai. Uh, I used to also sell a lot of Lignin Plus by a company called BioNutri. And that seemed to work very well for people on its own as well. And if none of them work, then HRT is the best solution for you. And I I recommend HRT all the time to people, Patricia. I know people still think of that big study that was done where it said it increased people's risk of cancer. But actually, um, I think the study has been a little bit debunked now. The risks are minimal and the benefits can be absolutely outstanding. So yeah. if it's not working for you, try HRT. Okay. Hi, um, Annalise. Is it okay to rub... Dr. Organic Vitamin E Essential Oil onto my lips. The reason I'm asking is I went out in the fresh air in the garden over the weekend and my lips now have become very dry. I know I can buy the Vitamin E Lip Balm, but I'm just curious, as I have a little bottle of oil in the house at the moment, could I use that? Is it okay to use essential oil on your lips? Well, actually, I think if I'm not familiar with that product, but I'd imagine, I think I know the type that it is. It's actually vitamin E from an oil. Vitamin E is a fat-soluble vitamin, Patricia. So we get it in things like nuts and seeds, cheese, um, anything fatty, um, avocados. um, All of those will be very high in vitamin E oil. Actually, sunflower oil, olive oil, they're all great for vitamin E. So you could rub that vitamin E oil on your lips, no problem. The same with olive oil or sunflower oil or any of those oils. They can be great um, for dry lips. The only caution I would say is don't go out in the sunshine because if there's oil on your lips in the sunshine, you burn. it will burn yeah. and they get worse. Yeah, yeah, you'll be in deep trouble. Uh, Mary, question for Annalise. I was recently told by my doctor that my kidney functions are low and was told not to take anti-inflammatories. Can you tell me, is it okay to take curcumin as I've back in neck uh, pain? Also, what would cause my kidney function to be low and should I be worried? Okay, so I'm not exactly sure what the measure was, but there is um, GFR is measured in a standard blood test, which is called glomerular filtration rate. And it's your kidney's ability to filter, which is how it gets rid of lots of things out of the body, specifically our sodium, potassium, chloride um, and magnesium, because it plays a big role in helping to manage your uh, blood pressure. But also, it would also excrete drugs and different things. So that's why she's been told not to take non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. So if the, um, if the GFR is low, it could mean that your kidneys are struggling to filter. It could be because of an infection. It could be because of kidney damage. There's also um, different viral illnesses that can affect the kidneys. So it's something that would need to be monitored. So really get a blood test done in another few months. And if it keeps going downwards then you need to have further investigations to see what's happening. So in the meantime, to keep the kidneys healthy, um, the first question was, is it okay to take um, 
the turmeric extract as a, nat- a natural anti-inflammatory, and that's absolutely fine. In actual fact, if there is inflammation in the kidneys, it will be of benefit for that as well. But other things, I would say follow a low-salt diet. If you go online and if you Google DASH, D-A-S-H, diet, that is your typical low-sodium, low-salt diet. And include plenty of vegetables um, in your diet for potassium, which is always great for supporting the kidneys. So you could actually make a juice with celery, um, maybe some spinach, maybe ginger, lemon juice, um, and maybe half an apple. And that's a wonderful cleanser and support for the kidneys. And then there's certain herbs that are very beneficial for the kidneys. Um, Dr. Delish Clare does a lovely blend called Cystone, C-Y-S-T-O-N-E. And she also does it as a tea. And they are herbs that tonify and support the kidneys. So that might be something worth trying as well. Okay, hi. Could Annelise please comment on the difference between allergies versus intolerance versus food sensitivity to certain foods? What I'm really thinking about is a gluten. Would a food allergy test confirm the severity? I think gluten is affecting my bowel urgency issues. Okay, so a food allergy is um, an extreme food, uh, an extreme response. So generally, if you've got an allergy to a food, you'll know about it because your lips will swell or your eyes will water or something, you'll get itchy. So a food allergy is nearly always identifiable. There is another immune response that I test for, and it's, I call it a food intolerance, but you could also call it a food sensitivity. It actually is an immune response, but it's a much lower grade immune so rather like if you were to compare an allergy like a fire, the uh, um, uh, intolerance is more like a smolder. So over long periods of time, it can affect things like it gives people migraine, eczema, uh, maybe mucus production, post-nasal drip, headaches, IBS. I'd see those regularly associated with um, food intolerances. Um, then food sensitivities, you could be sensitive to anything. So you could actually be sensitive to the E numbers. For example, tartrazine could make you hyper. That's also termed a food sensitivity. But the two immune reactions um, will definitely impact your health and impact your bowel. And gluten is a very common one. You can get a test done. Generally, the food intolerance tests I do here, they encompass more than just gluten. And very rarely, Patricia, if you have an intolerance uh, immune response to one, it, you've got it, it's There'll be a few that will show up. I've never just had one come back on a test. And the company that I use um, here, they actually do use the, show the severity of the reaction, which is very useful to know because if you're extremely intolerant, it means that you can't ever have it. And if you have a mild intolerance, it means you probably tolerate it well cooked in different foods. Okay, somebody has a cholesterol issue. Uh, the results are 7.8 HDL and 2.6 LDL, 4.1 triglycerides, 1.1. How concerned should I be? Uh, this listener, has, Mary Mallow, has been on Viridian, poly something and red rice yeast for some time. Okay, so uh, did, was the first one 7.8 HDL? Yeah. I think that could be wrong, Patricia. Um, So there's two different kinds of, um, maybe that's the total cholesterol. That's very possible. Oh, sorry. It is. The HDL is 2.6 and the LDL is 4.1 and the triglycerides are 1.1. I'm just reading Uh, it now. That makes makes more sense. Okay. So 
generally the doctor likes your LDL to be underneath three. So just to explain very briefly what they are, Patricia, actually LDL and HDL are proteins that carry cholesterol around the body. LDL carries um, cholesterol from the liver where you make it to various sites around the body where it might be needed to make hormones, etc. And then HDL is the cleaner upper and it goes around the body, gathers up all cholesterol that's not needed and gets rid of it, brings it to the liver to to be gotten rid of. Um, So... If you've got high HDL, generally you're very, very healthy. And ideally, you don't want to have any more than three and a half times your LDL, the bad guy, than HDL, the good guy, the cleaner-upper guy. So this lady has got 4.1 LDL, but she has got um, 2.6 HDL. So her ratios are good. Mm-hmm. Her triglycerides are good. Um, so while her overall cholesterol might be high, it's not the worst picture at all. Now, if there's any family history of heart disease, I would certainly recommend that she goes for further investigation. And a calcium score test is lovely. Um, they're starting to be done more frequently as a measure of the amount of calcification. So if cholesterol is deposited in your arteries and if it hardens with calcium, it's calcification of the arteries and that's what causes the blockage. So calcium score tests, ask your doctors to organise one of those and get those done routinely and otherwise I think she's fine the way she is. Okay, good luck with that Mary who also wants to thank you. She'd sent in a previous text a couple of weeks ago to do with her nails. You gave her fantastic advice and she said it worked out exactly what you said so she wants to wish you a happy Easter so thank you for that. Um, What is the best moisturiser said Dan for psoriasis on legs and knees okay so psoriasis is a difficult one Patricia and actually people will often find a moisturiser that works brilliantly and it'll work for a while and then stop and that's because psoriasis is actually driven from the inside so the immune system is causing your cells of your skin to divide and multiply far too quickly so you get these itchy flaky plaque kind of skin build ups so in terms of what's worked well for our customers um, the Viridian Argan Grape Balm is one of the best ones. It's actually, the, it comes from the root of the Argan Grape plant. So that's one that can be worth trying. Some people get a good uh, result from the Salcura Zeoderm and the Derma Spray. That can be very, very soothing. But for anybody with psoriasis, I would recommend that you take very high strength fish oils internally. Um, especially the ones that are high in DHA because that will help put the fat into the skin from the inside out. Also, fish oils are very good at helping to balance the immune system. And in the case of psoriasis, I generally find that people have a link with food intolerance. So maybe consider a food intolerance test and get your gut healed because a lot of the immune system dysfunction starts there. Okay, listen, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for that. Have a lovely week. Thanks, Patricia. Happy uh, Easter. uh, Happy Easter to you as well, Annelise. Of course, won't be back with us next Monday, but she will be back with us in a fortnight's time. And if you go onto her website, healthhubstore.com, later on this afternoon, she'll put up all the products that she mentioned today as heard on the radio programme. And it's just handy for people to see uh, the different products that we've been talking about because I accept at times, Annelise is great and we go through a lot of information. Sometimes it's hard to write everything down so you can go on her website healthhubstore.com and I know our own John Paul uh, also puts up Annalise's piece as a separate podcast wherever you get your podcasts from if you want to listen back or you'd like maybe have a family member who you'd like to hear some information that Annalise passed on uh, today so thanks to Annalise Dressel for that nearly time uh, for us to wrap it up a time just a quick few texts that have been in Gerard on potholes says Patricia on potholes 
Did you know that in Thailand, people love it when the king decides to visit their region because that means that all the roads will be fixed in that area before his visit. The road in Thailand, Ger said, generally are good. He's a man who obviously knows Thailand well, but he said the roads around the royal palaces, they're absolutely impeccable. So do we need a king or queen of Ireland and then get them to come a visit very regularly? On Boy Racer, somebody said there are four ramps on the road from now. Nazareth uh, House to Dromahan outside Mallow. Uh, they slow down for the ramps and then take off like a jet to the next one. Boy races are everywhere. OK, that's where I've got to wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie.